the Gubby Gubby are the traditional custodians of the lands we record this podcast on. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, as they hold the memories, tradition and culture of this land. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that tells the stories of blood donors and their recipients. I thank donors and encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets and breast milk. If you have ever been a donor, you could be the one who saved, prolonged or improved the quality of life of the person that we profile here each week on the podcast. And becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. On today's episode, we meet Cherie Canning, founder of Luminate Leadership and mother to Chloe, who was born at 25 weeks and had her life saved by Australian blood and breast milk donors. I met Cherie when I spoke at her Women's Leadership Conference in Brisbane earlier this month, and I was simply enchanted by her passion for supporting and enabling other women to succeed in their chosen fields. I'll pop a link to Luminate Leadership in this week's show notes. But for now, I give you my chat with Cherie, with special guest appearance from the star of the show, Chloe. So today we welcome Cherie Canning, blood donor and mother to a blood product recipient to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast and community. Welcome, Cherie. Thank you, Kate. It is absolutely an honour to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, Now, you founded Luminate Leadership to support women in business. Can you tell me a little bit about your business and why you founded it? Yeah, absolutely. Love to. Thank you. Uh, We are Luminate Leadership and it is almost two years since Luminate started in November Mm -hmm. 2020, actually. Um, I would say Luminate was born out of a COVID necessity. Um, I actually had a beautiful career at the wonderful Flight Centre Travel Group for 17 years uh, before actually Andy and I, my husband and I, were stood down on the same day. We were both working at Flight Centre, both stood down as we know. Yeah. (laughs) I think uh, actually (laughs) our our daughter's experience, which we'll get into in a moment, probably was just COVID was a walk in the park compared to that, really. Uh, That was the primer we needed, that COVID wasn't as harsh. But in fairness, it was still a challenging time. So, yeah, Andy and I both got stood down the same day. Um, I fell into another role in a contract for seven months. So it just we knew that there'd be some regular income. It it certainly was not a long-term solution, just a stopgap while we worked out whether Flight Centre would be bringing us back on. I think Mm -hmm. the optimist in me was like, oh, yeah, we'll be back in a couple of months. What's this COVID business? Uh, But actually, COVID and travel do not mix well. So um, toward the end of 2020, it was becoming very clear that I wouldn't be going back. And at the time, I was in a leadership development role. So that absolutely was a nice-to-have role at Flight Centre. It was not a a business-critical role for the business. So. As life, you know, deals you these things sometimes, it wasn't personal, it wasn't a reflection on the value that I felt like I was adding in the company, just life. So yeah. the um, whole world just got turned up. Totally, totally. Not about us at all, you know, okay. like you just realize it's just part of the part of the story. So uh toward the end of the year, 
it was just a question of, well, it's not what I want to do. I knew what I wanted to do was leadership development and training. It was just more about where I would do it. Uh And I applied for maybe 30 jobs, actually. I remember having a spreadsheet, just tracking it down and just couldn't find the right fit. Um, And in the end, we both looked at each other and went, I know what I want to do. I know Uh what I'm passionate about. I know that it adds value to the world. I've just got to find the courage and just maybe I just start my own thing. Yeah. yeah, in 2020, November 20, 2020, uh, Luminate Leadership was born. And for the first year, I worked in Luminate officially solo. And, and then into a year in, Andy, my husband, um, resigned from his new job after that time and came across full time. And now there's three of us. And yeah, working with a number of amazing companies that we've got our event. Big. Yeah, companies like LSKD, the clothing brand. I don't know yeah. if you're familiar yep. with them and the Children's Hospital Foundation and 99 Bikes and yeah. Jacaranda Finance and Place Real Estate, like amazing brands and places. Mm. So, yeah, it's just been a wild ride. It's been yeah. amazing. Well, we got chatting um, with a bit of a crossover of the work that you're doing with the Children's Hospital Foundation and that yeah. would be such beautiful and fulfilling work and I was so interested to hear what you were doing in that space. Um, and I've yeah. asked you to be a guest on today's podcast so we could chat about your daughter, Chloe. Um, she had a very early entry into the world at 25 weeks. Can we just start yeah. by talking a little bit about your pregnancy and if you had any indication that she would be joining us early? Yeah, absolutely. Um, firstly, absolutely no indication. So it was a, right. a lovely little surprise. Yeah. Um, Chloe was my second pregnancy and is our first child. So um, we didn't have, we had a miscarriage, an early miscarriage first up. So the second pregnancy, thank you, thank you, mm-hmm. Um was challenging and scary and um, uncertain. I had no idea that we would have any complications as such, just kind of believing and understanding miscarriages are such a common, although heartbreaking, common occurrence. Yeah. So I didn't think any deeper into that. Mm -hmm. Um, We came back from being on an approved by my obstetrician holiday overseas, a bit of a baby moon in the and um, came home and I'll never forget it because my beautiful husband went on a, a guy's golf trip down to the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria yeah. at six months into pregnancy. Plenty of time, we said. Heaps of time. And, uh, heaps of time. And I started getting this pain in my stomach. And now this is like embarrassing to say out loud, but I'll, I will say it out loud, knowing that this could, you know, people may hear this, but at about 20 weeks into the pregnancy, I also had this terrible pain. And so yeah. we fronted up to the middle at midnight and they just said to me, you have trapped gas. And yeah. I was so embarrassed, but I went, oh, well, I guess that's part of the job, you know, being also, pregnant. Awesome. So, that's a great outcome. Totally, totally <laughs> fine. Going home, it's fine. So at 25 weeks, I've got a similar pain and I'm thinking, oh, I'm overreacting. It's no big deal. And I called the hospital halfway through the day and they say like, oh, you know, just rest. And I called again that night because I was in so much pain. Yeah. And they said, this is the second time you called us. Could you come in just to be seen so we could observe you? Yeah. And it was two o'clock in the morning. I was on my own and he's having a good time with his mates down in Victoria. 
And I drove myself to hospital. Unbeknownst to me, I was in labor. Sure. I had no idea. I feel like an absolute idiot saying this out loud, but how would you know? Well, you don't know until you've done it. And no idea. Yeah, absolutely. And especially because you had been so careful at 20 weeks and done the right thing. And, you know, trapped wind when you're pregnant is really painful. (laughs) Really painful and very common and not a big deal. So absolutely. I'm overreacting for sure. And I remember them saying, I'll call your obstetrician, a beautiful obstetrician called Dr. Ben Croon. And he, they said, well, call Dr. Croon. I said, don't be ridiculous. It's 3.30 in the morning. Like, I don't want you to wake him. And they kind of looked at me going, that's why you're paying him. Absolutely. And obstetricians don't sleep normal hours anyway. No, no. So, um, Along they along he came and actually he met me at the Mater because they I was at the Wesley uh, and they were incredible but they also had, you know let me know that there's no way I'm staying at the Wesley at 25 weeks they no. don't have to so um, in the ambulance I went um, just solo me and some lovely nurse uh, to the Mater. So you and still didn't really think you were in labour. They told me I was in labour at that stage. I'm like oh okay. Um, I'll call my husband when it's a reasonable hour to let him know. Like I, I was in absolute disbelief, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, they were giving me they were giving me steroid in- injections at that point, and yeah. also giving me drugs that I can't remember what it was called, but to try and slow the labor down and yeah. in fact stop the labor. That was the goal, nepotine or something. I'm not sure. Nepotine. Yeah, I've had it. I've had it. They and- give me drugs. I'm like, okay, just give it to me. Yeah whatever you think is right. So um, we got to the MARTA and by then it was about six o'clock by the time I was kind of checked in and seen too. And it wasn't, it was this moment where they're like, oh, oh, here's someone very special. Hey, is it Chloe? Hi, Chloe. Chloe. Hey, what's on your dress? Let me move you back. What can I see on that dress? (gasps) Oh. Oh, check it out. Tony dressed up as a unicorn. <laughs> hey, I'm talking about a very special early baby. <gasps> Me. Yeah. Were you an early baby? Hey, have you watched the early baby Bluey episode? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that has given language to us all now that we can communicate with our friends. Yeah. You being in a little fish tank like they had on Bluey, right? I had an early baby that was in a fish tank and it was so important that everybody needed to wash their hands before they could touch the baby. And I had to go home and I had to be very, very brave. Like your mummy had to be very brave and to go home and come back and visit during the day. Is your mummy the bravest lady in the world? Do you think I am? Is there someone braver than me? Uh, maybe Is she wearing person? a beautiful pink tutu maybe? maybe? Maybe one person more brave than me. <laughs> brave person. Did you ask Kate what's her baby, early baby's name? Sure. My early baby's name is Thomas. He's my big boy and he's now 12 and he's taller than I am. Wow. Yeah. But I have another little girl called Marley who is six, who has lots of pretty tutus just like you, and she has spent lots of time in hospital. She wasn't an early baby, but she spent lots of time in hospital as well. You were in the ambulance on the way to the MARTA so that you could meet your obstetrician. 
Yes, yes, thank you. So, uh, yeah, I got the ambulance there and they were pretty quick just to give me some stats and mm-hmm. just kind of set me up to know that time, Chloe, I was 25 and one, um, 25 weeks and one day at that time. Uh, my waters hadn't broken. They weren't sure. And they said to me, you know, she could come quickly. She could be here within an hour or it might be another three months. We just don't know. Yep. So it was a, a bit of an uncertain time to say the least. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I got a piece of paper on one side that showed like statistics of survival fundamentally and depending on gender, weight and um, and gestation. Mm. Yeah. So being a female, a better chance of survival. And then obviously 25 weeks is very super early, uh, still, still plausible, but it's still super early. And then depending on her weight, which we wouldn't know until she was born. And then the other side was all around disability. So the, the chances of um, mild, severe or moderate disability mm-hmm. was just likely and ex- to be expected. Absolutely, so, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, in fairness, like I genuinely had no idea about NICU and that this this part of the world existed. And I don't know how naive that sounds. I even remember my sister saying to me, she's in Sydney, oh, what hospital are you going to? And I mentioned at the time, Wesley, she said, oh, great, do they have a NICU? And I actually said, what's a NICU? I actually didn't know. And, yeah. and not to say I didn't know that premature babies existed, but I just mm. didn't realise the extent of that world, yeah. which I well know now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Andy arrived back to Brisbane, so did our families. So everyone was kind of uh, popping in that day. And for the next one and a half days, I lay on the labour ward and I was then given like a magnesium drip as well, which helped for brain bleeds and then more steroids whenever they could give them to me. Um, and they were pretty happy. They thought that I was back up on the ward after a day and a half. Again, they were not thrilled, but I, yeah, I was yeah. off the weight. Um, and within two or three hours of being off the birthing suite, I had some pretty severe pain. And I just thought, again, it was more like I needed to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And, and it kind of gave me this knowing smile that I now know they all went, oh, call the obstetrician yeah. now. Yeah. Um, but you try and go to the bathroom. You just buzz us if anything happens. Yeah. And then next minute, um, my waters broke. And within 17 minutes from my waters broke, breaking Chloe arrived Uh, so it was a very swift transition back down to the birthing suite Um, and I think it was like two pushes Mm -hmm. so maybe that's my silver lining I only had to do two pushes oh I don't know I don't know if you want to have a baby that quickly I had a 12 minute with my twins and I would not I would not recommend birthing a baby that quickly if you can avoid yeah look I I wouldn't recommend anything in this experience and I'm like the silver lining here um so yeah she came out pretty fast and weighed 730 grams that's a little baby teeny teeny tiny Mm -hmm. uh my husband's wedding ring fit her entire arm up to the shoulder when she was three weeks so she'd even grown by then um so yeah she was just teeny tiny um she was intubated um she then went she had intubation for a day I'd never genuinely never seen a baby that small or the skin that red raw and realizing oh wow okay this is what people mean when you see a child and you love them no matter what yeah absolutely (laughs) because like you look like an alien and I say that with all the love love. 
uh, but I, it was really confronting. Mm. Um, so yeah, 25 weeks and four days, she was born at 730 grams and yeah, our little Chloe, miracle. That's crazy. And you couldn't have possibly had the time or the space to mentally or physically prepare anything having a baby that early. Like you probably didn't have a car seat yet or have a nursery set up completely or any of those types of things because you had three months to think about it still. Correct. And, you know, these funny moments. So I was in um, the role I was in at Flight Centre at the time was an area manager role. So it was quite a big responsibility, maybe like 15 16 sites that we're responsible for and multiple people in there and I remember my leader at the time he's he has four kids Mm. and he was saying I think we might maybe finish myself and another colleague who were she was due February I was due March let's finish you guys up in your roles we still pay you the same amount we still honor you the same role but let's finish you up and get that handover maybe mid-December early December and my um, predecessor was appointed to start one December and if I'm honest, I was a little bit dirty. I'm yeah. like, two till March. Like, I am not incapable of doing my job. What are you thinking? And Chloe, would you believe, was born 30 November oh, wow. and Nick started 1 December. I'm like, hmm, funny that. Like, just Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Um, but, yeah, it's just funny how those things happen. And, yes, her room had kind of started being built in the nursery mm. and excitement, most certainly was not ready but I guess the good news in that is you still got a few months she was 101 days early so we were told don't expect to have her home before 101 days yeah um and in fact you know she had a 50 percent chance of survival statistically at the very very beginning so um there was not even like that promise you would have her home but it would be in no less than 101 days yeah. so plenty of time to put a cot together yeah, absolutely <laughs> Yeah. Um, I say with so much vibrancy now, you know, <laughs> so much track, energy now. <laughs> yeah, that, that didn't feel so lighthearted at the time, that's for sure. So what complications was she born with, um, with her early arrival? What intervention did she yeah. need in those early days? Well, in Premier World, minimal. Um, I think in the non-Premier World, a lot. Mm. Uh, she was born with neonatal lung disease Mm -hmm. so her lungs just weren't um developed yet and you know as we know they're the last things to develop Mm -hmm. in um often so she actually came home on oxygen and was on um 24 hour oxygen for six months and then around 10 months um those four months where it was just at night time yeah so that would be me walking around with a pram with this like big oxygen tank and people yeah. looking like what's going on and sanitizer coming out of the wazoo before yeah. people knew what sanitizer Absolutely. was so that's funny um so that was that she had um she had to have the uv therapy so what is um uh jaundice mm-hmm. jaundice yeah so she had jaundice in the early stages and then her red blood count was low so she had to have two and this way technically I'm actually a little bit blase about this but I in in a way that was my saving grace because you can't just go you tell me what you need to give our daughter to make her work and I'll just go with it yeah and I was rereading a diary actually one of the nurses uh, encouraged us to write a journal 
have something positive from every day. Yeah. And I literally have that journal with stickers and it was like a blood transfusion and my first this and my first that. And I reread it the other day um, and it really just, you know, takes you right back there because I like to think I'm a grateful, optimistic person. And then after having Chloe, I realised I am a, an optimistic, grateful person. Like it really yes. kind of firms that up in your yeah. life. Sometimes you don't know until it's really tested. And that, like there's no greater way to test that than wondering, you know, if you're going to be able to have your child survive or not. Yeah, yeah. literally, literally. And um, I'm really acutely aware that that was such a short-lived experience for us compared to many other parents. Mm. Um, so I'm... I'm almost hesitant sometimes to share it because I think, oh, there are other families who are, you know, you guys included who are still on such, like it's just a never-ending journey. And whereas I feel like it didn't end the day we came out of NICU, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But it was, um, yeah, and look, it's not about comparison mm -hmm. at all, but I, I'm very aware to families with sick kids, I feel like our journey was really easy um, to families who haven't experienced sick or premature kids. It was hell. So yeah. it's a it's funny, it's a funny line, mm. but um, yeah. So she really just, I would say followed the traditional trajectory mm -hmm. of a 25 a weeker. Yep. So it really was the lungs um, that were the weakness. Uh, she was cleared of any brain bleeds, and um, I think that was the magnesium that I had for that yeah. 24 hours. Like that was intense. My entire body mm. was just shaking from this drip for 24 hours. So, you know, God only knows what it actually did for her little body inside mm. of me, um, which proved to be powerful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think when she came home, really through the through the journey, it was just her lungs. It was just her breathing. Yeah. Um, she, she was tube fed for a while mm -hmm. um, and then when it went to bottle feeds um, that was tricky for me because I did, I wasn't producing a lot of milk so yeah. she ended up and I guess we'll touch on that as well um, in the early stages before she got into special care in those first like maybe six weeks or so seven eight weeks mm -hmm. um, the only way that she could get nutrition is breast milk that yeah. was like, that's it mm. and I in the early early stages like she was having like a meal every few hours and then three meals and then five meals mm. which is not a lot to produce um and then as she was slowly growing she'd need more milk and that was that was really hard because mm. I was taking um I was taking Matillium I think I was taking you know I was eating every cookie that was going to give you more milk under the sun. I'm not sure if that was for the milk or just because it tasted yummy, but I'll, <laughs> Look, I'll go with it. You were eating um, something while you were in there. That was a yeah, good yeah, thing. Remembering to feed yourself when you've got an intensive care is hard. Correct. Correct. Whatever's working. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, that was hard, like an alarm. Oh, it's taking me back there now, but, you know, when my alarm would go off in the middle of the night to wake up and express and I'm sitting on the rocking chair in my daughter's room and she's not there and you're sitting there with this double pump um, at two in the morning forcing yourself to stay awake to get milk and, yeah, that, that was hell. That was actually Every hell. mother that I've had that conversation with automatically thinks about the noise of the breast pump. <laughs> 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 making me laugh because if I thought about that much longer I'd be falling my eyes out yeah. oh, it was, on 
honestly hell like yeah yeah the noise a noise included um and I just remember sitting there we had like one of those little light boxes you get from Kmart you know the ones where you put like happy birthday or whatever and every day I um changed it and, like Chloe is one day old Chloe is yeah. two days and like I just I remember saying Chloe will be home in 101 days and this nurse told me Gail I remember I'll never forget it on day two she's like I love that you're tracking down to this 101 days, but it's not always realistic. Yeah. So can I encourage you to celebrate each day instead of mm. down? And it was the greatest blessing anyone could have given me in that moment. And I remember coming home and just changing it over. Mm-hmm. And it was like Chloe's 21 days, Chloe's 45 days, yeah. Chloe's 80 days. And, yeah, I mean, in the end, honestly, I think I stopped doing those midnight, I mean, like middle of the night feeds, early morning feeds uh, or expresses mm. because I wasn't getting anything. Yeah. And like I just cried just wanting to get this milk mm. and it was it was genuinely torture. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to um, explain to people who haven't experienced it either, especially when you've had a premature baby and your hormones haven't kicked in quite in the same way that they would with a term baby. So you're not yeah. producing milk in the same way. And when you're separated from your baby in those early yeah. days, you know, you don't have the same, you know, smell where you're, you know, inhaling their pheromones that helps you melt, you know, milk let down. You're not responding to them waking up, so having your body wake up properly and all of those yeah. things, you don't have that skin to skin. And they talk so much about skin to skin in terms yeah. of connecting a baby, but it also helps the mother connect to help the milk let down. And you're so stressed and it's just, it's not a, it's not a fun time. So no. I didn't have to and do it for nearly as long, but I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it's, and, and you just say there about stress as well, because, you know, when you talk about stress, well, is there a greater stress than your only child well child full stop not only child for me my first child yeah um being in intensive care fighting for her life Mm. every day yeah and while she was on a positive trajectory of um growth and the CPAPs were getting turned down which meant her lungs were developing you know if there was one virus came into that room she she could die like it's that simple um and it was that terrifying and so when I'm doing my best to stay calm and um, stay as positive and optimistic as possible. The reality is also there. So mm. it's this, the stress levels. Yeah, it was, um, it was awful. Mm. And, and, and formula just wasn't an option. Like it is, she actually did come home on formula, mm. fully fed formula. And I'm, I'm totally comfortable with that yes. because yeah. it's what it was. And that's what needed by the time she came home yep. was, fine for her little gut mm. um at the time we're talking about here um she'd had she'd had her first um blood transfusion or the red blood cells in at 17 days yep. and then another one a week later and then I just had no milk left yep. and so I remember I remember the bloods were really really terrifying like mm. there was this strange feeling of um wow I can't believe another human has given this and it's saving my child and it's giving her the chance to thrive and to survive yeah and the other half was who is this person who's given my child and who are they it takes a while to get past it marley has now had thousands of 
plasma oh. donations that have been infused through her body. And I did have those times of walking through hospital, looking at people going, I wonder if it's your blood. I wonder if it's your blood. And that thing about you're so careful with sanitization and you don't even want someone else to touch your child while they yes. have a suppressed immune system. And yet you're infusing them with other people's blood. Like it feels so counterintuitive, but it it's really the only thing keeping them alive. <laughs> totally, totally. And you get this more than anyone, you know, and I just remember there was this, there was this couple sitting next to us in the NICU where we were, there was eight babies in a room at any one time. And so of course their families would be there too. Yeah. And, and I remember meeting this couple and they were a lot further along the journey when we got in mm. and they, they weren't overly open but they kind of let us in a little bit which I did appreciate mm. and I remember them telling me that their daughter had had a couple of blood transfusions and maybe culturally as well um they have um you know an Indian background and she was saying like that's really just something that she had fought against and the right. doctors really convinced her <clears throat> it was so and um, so then when she told me about this, not knowing Chloe would need one, and then when Chloe had I got her thoughts and stories in yeah. my head, I'm like, oh, is this the right decision? Yeah. I just, you know, I remember going to the movies with Andy that night and um, and I it was such a strange thing to say you've gone and done, but it was almost like, okay, we've, we've had our day there, we've said our goodbyes, let's go and try and... You need to distract. try and distract yourself a little bit. It's hard yeah. to explain that to people if they haven't been yeah. there, but you need it. Like, I'm not trying to like just forget about it. You can't forget no, about it. You can't. I'm like, can we try and do something? And we went and went and watched this Mel Gibson movie. It's like a war movie. And it was the most intense movie. I don't remember what it's called. It was so intense. Hackshaw Ridge, I think it is. Yeah. It was so violent and so intense. And I'm like, what are we doing here? What, what? And I just have my phone underneath my leg on silent. Like, and I just keep looking at it every two <laughs> seconds. Is she okay? Um. And, you know, that it was really terrifying, but then I think it turned to more gratitude. The milk, though, I still, uh, if I'm being really, really vulnerable and honest, I think I still hold, like, a lot of guilt and shame about that, mm. that, like, my body couldn't, for whatever reason, couldn't even hold my baby in till she was meant to come and then I couldn't even give her the food she needed. Like, that was... The blood I almost see a bit more rational, but I think with the milk, mm. I don't know. Mm. I don't know if you have yeah. that experience. And we always say for any breast milk episode that we do um, that this is not about, you know, breast milk or formula or what's better or the choices oh. that people make for their babies or any of those things. It's yeah. just sharing those experiences and how important it is for those tiny little babies to have breast milk. And this is why it is done through lifeblood and it is actually prescribed to babies to have breast milk in the yes. same way that a medication would be prescribed. You know, it's oh. easier for them to digest than formula. It helps to protect their gut and it improves their feed tolerance. And that's so important for those tiny little people where every little bit of energy and nutrients matters when they're literally fighting for their lives every single day. Literally. Like her gut at 26 weeks or 27 weeks, um, while she was Earthside, would not be able to deal with formula no, at that stage. It no. was not actually an option. Mm. And I think this was that moment where I remember when she was born, the doctors and the beautiful nurses, I, I love them all so, so much. And they're all saying, you know, 
Um, all you can do, Sheree, as a mum of a preterm baby is feed them. Mm. And like if you can get the milk and give the skin to skin, you're giving your daughter a chance. Yep. And to think that I actually couldn't even do one of those things. And, and in fairness, Kate, it was only 24 hours. Like I only needed milk donation for 24 hours but it still kind of scars me a little bit and but where it's just deep 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 gratitude because what about those women who have fortunate enough or it's a pest for them (laughs) you know these women with all this milk and um I'm just so grateful that they think beyond themselves rather than throwing it out or not yeah. not doing it. And look, you never it. know the stories on the other side of that either. You know, it could have That's been it. a mum who had a baby that didn't survive, but she was still producing oh, milk. Yeah, when you she say that, donated that milk. Um, we, our um, Campbell, our middle guy, um, has an identical twin brother that passed away during our pregnancy. And so when oh, okay. he was born, I had this ridiculous, insane oversupply of milk because I still carried them both to term. I still birthed them both. And my body was prepared hormonally to be breastfeeding twins. So I had an insane oversupply of milk. And, you know, so you just don't know the backstory and the kindness of those people. And it, you know, one of the real messages that we try and convey through this podcast, and we've certainly felt as a family with Marley, who is dependent on plasma infusion, you know, it's life-saving for her during an acute an acute autoimmune encephalitis relapse and it's life preserving for every infusion in between and you know all of the medical and scientific advances in the world and all of the knowledge and the technology and all of these things they've got within the doors of these amazing children's hospitals it's human kindness and the donation of blood and breast milk that are keeping these people alive and you just yeah it's just such a special incredible thing that people do and it hasn't just kept Chloe alive like it's kept your family together like you guys are a family because of Australian blood donors and because of those breast milk donations oh yeah and just bringing I appreciate you bringing my awareness a reminder of that actually that that it's not always women's um women in a place of abundance and joy where they're like oh I've just got all this wonderful milk <laughs> and I, so, hope, I hope that's where it oh there'll from. be many of them and my sister was one my sister you know is one too who was one in that case um but there's so many that are also going through their own heartbreak and just to have that kindness mm. to see beyond something outside or bigger than themselves which mm. is oh just incredible and um without it sounding like platitudes like how do you literally at this event I was at earlier today there's another family 27 week a baby um that I met and and he's um he's on his own journey at the moment which is not smooth sailing for the family and then another friend who's an OT and she was and I was telling her about my experience with um the donor milk and she said she's had to have donor milk for her last two as well and just almost that conversation it's just not as common Um, and you know the work you're doing bringing this awareness I think that's what is so incredible because how do you really say thank you like it's just Mm. it's impossible I think just to express how you would really feel but how you say thank you is sharing this story and sharing and that's the concept you know that we are trying to bridge that gap of anonymity between donors and their recipients um 
because it has literally been thousands of plasma donations that have run through Marley now and she will need thousands more in her lifetime. And how can we possibly ever thank all of those people that have kept our daughter alive? And so that's how Milkshakes for Marley was born, primarily to thank donors. I want to know about Chloe now. So can you tell me a little bit about her? I know she's six now. She ducked in before and said hello in this gorgeous little pink tutu, loving life. Um, yeah. Molly's also six. So she's pretty much what I expected to see when she came in here. Um, just tell me a little bit about her now, what she loves to do, what her favorite things are. Oh, yes. So she is technically six at the end of November. Yeah. So um, yeah, she is if you ask Chloe to describe herself or what does she love and what what is who is Chloe Canning which is a mm-hmm. bold question for an almost six-year-old she would say I'm very kind um and she says to me constantly she goes mom I just love everyone in the world even the people I haven't met yet oh and so she's <laughs> just the sweetest soul she really is the sweetest soul. And if yep. you say what's important in life, she goes just to be kind and be brave. Like, I think I've done my job. <laughs> Please don't grow up because drop my kids like, off in your I house. Do, you're obviously doing yeah, yeah, yeah. a job. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think I've just, you know, propaganda all around her bedroom. But no, no, it's um <laughs> she's a kind, kind kid. And she loves to perform. So she loves mm. to sing and her music is. It's quite interesting. I think physically she's still very small. Like if she's almost six but would wear like size three pants because her waist and bum like just don't even exist, kind of the opposite to me. But anyway, (laughs) um, funny how that works out. But what happens when you're 700 grams, I guess. Um, (laughs) She's getting smaller. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah, Careful what you wish for, hey. Um, But she is getting taller. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, she just loves to sing and to perform and um like she just loves she is like the biggest Taylor Swift fan on the planet um and most recently she started singing Tina Turner Dolly Parton and you are start singing you know um Proud Mary and just pumping (laughs) it out with all the facial expressions so she doesn't know but she's getting a keyboard like a piano for her birthday this year because she really is just so musical um, I think she wants to dance and she wants to be sporty. I just don't know if it's her yet. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Typically she's just still so teeny tiny, you know, yeah. but um, the the courage does not necessarily match the ability for her, which is a wonderful mm. thing. Like she's Absolutely. just got all the courage in the world mm. um, and she's just, yeah, a nurturing, kind little human. She's just yeah. beautiful. Has she talked about what she'd like to do when she grows up? Yes, be an astronaut. Right. Um, a dancing, singing astronaut. Yeah, like Mina from Sing 2, the That's elephant. important. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, astronaut, astronaut, astronaut. That's what keeps coming up. Um, and or a singer. Yeah, she's just, she's divine. There, there wouldn't be a day goes by in this house that we don't think we're on some kind of stage performing between the three of us singing and dancing. Yeah. We are 
good at it in any way, but it brings <laughs> so much joy and energy to the room. We just make up songs for fun. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. That's awesome. Well, amazing. the reason that I asked you that question to round out the podcast interview is because without Australian blood and breast milk donors, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation about what your little girl wanted to be when she oh. grew up because she probably wouldn't still be here. And it's just a beautiful way to reflect on what they have been able to give little Chloe and what they have given your family. So as a final question, what message do you have for blood and breast milk donors that have given that for your daughter um, or for anyone who's considering a donation in the future? Oh, Kate, it's really hard to even answer this because how do you even just go, can I just thank you? Like that is just feels just not enough. So inadequate. Um, yeah. I Yes, so inadequate. Yeah. I would say that I too acknowledge that life gets busy and hectic and there's so much going on and that it may feel at times there isn't enough time or space to find that time and just to remember to see these faces of children and adults yeah. who are still smiling and making the most of every day and their families embracing every single day and that finding that time is worth it every single time. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful, Shree. Thank you so much for joining us on the Milkshakes for Mali podcast today and it's just a joy to have you as part of our community. Okay, I thank you for everything you're doing and your courage as a mum is just absolutely incredible so thank you what i really adored about this interview wasn't just the fact that it was a double episode to thank blood and breast milk donors but that you could see so clearly how these donors didn't just save chloe's life but also made the cannings a family i'm so grateful to sheree for sharing so candidly her story with us it's such a joy to have her and her family as part of the Milkshakes for Mali community. Nothing feels more Australian like the modern demonstration of mateship than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This episode was written and hosted by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was Cherie Canning with a special guest appearance from her daughter, Chloe. And we wish Chloe a very, very, very big happy birthday. Audio production and welcome to country by my husband and Marley's dad, Jeff Fisher. To make an appointment to donate, please call Lifeblood on 13 14 95. Our Lifeblood team is called Milkshakes for Marley, and we have donors from all over Australia. So please join us and add your donation to our team, Tappy. And as always, I'll leave the final word to Marley. Thank you for my prize, Marley.